0: There aren't too many things that last the test of time. Financial hardships or a change in what is considered progress can cause things to evolve over time. And bridges are no exception. Yes, actual bridges. I'm not speaking metaphorically. Though they do last decade upon decade, even they need to be replaced. Can you guess what I'm going to talk about today? Well, hold that thought. And let me bridge today's topic with some background about bridges in our area. Big ideas and considerable development of northwest Florida began about the 1920s. Banks, railroads, homes, land was being cleared and people were beginning to seek their fortunes in the lumber, turpentine, and yes, even a dye mine in major port city in Shalimar. Make sure you check out our episode on Shalimar for that one. Anyway, the need for roads was essential. In the 1930s, the state saw the need to connect Northwest Florida to South Florida on a highway system that would require a fair amount of bridges. The Gulf Coast Highway System, AKA the Florida Loop, would go from Pensacola to Tampa. According to news articles, in 1931, funds began being allocated to build bridges to make this idea come true. Yes, folks, we are talking about the Brooks Bridge. We've had two Brooks Bridges since the 1930s, and we're about to see a third. You can already see buildings and signs being removed to make way for the new one. The construction of the new one, as you may know, is being overseen by the Florida Department of Transportation. I thought it was time to take a look back and to look forward to explore the history of the John Thomas Brooks Bridge. I plan to give you folks a delightful history of our current and past bridges, including some nuggets of history you probably didn't know, including how, in 1933, locals decided to put $1.67 in the bank to accrue interest for a 100-year celebration to be held in 2033 to commemorate the building of the first bridge. You may be saying, Nick, 2033, sorry. Before I slip into the future, we're going to need to flashback. Welcome to Flashback, a podcast by the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. Get ready to dust the nostalgia off your sleeve as we talk with Okaloosa citizens who share with us how things used to be. I'm your host, Nick Tomachek. It's time to step into your imaginary DeLorean, tap your flux capacitor, and flashback. We take for granted the fact that we can drive from Fort Walton Beach to Destin without taking a boat, but by boat was how it was done before the 1930s. If you lived here, you were most likely a farmer or in the lumber industry. If you needed to get to the beach, you didn't necessarily do it to have a fun beach day, and you certainly didn't spend the night or build housing on the beach. You used your boat for functional survival uses, hunting and agricultural purposes. I reached out to a great-granddaughter of John T. Brooks, Kay Saxon Brooks. She recalls stories she was told of the day before the bridges. Here's Kay. When I hear folks talk about what it was like, what it looked like here.
1: And I, I mean, I came, I was born in the 50s, so I can't imagine what Daddy, who was born here, was raised and saw. I would ask him on a regular basis. He said, Kay, the mullet were so sick. And you could see him so far, it was like you could walk on the water on the backs of the mullet. Wow. I know. I mean, just the things he would talk about. Yeah. The honey now what was then called the Eglin Reservation. Because when John Thomas was here, that was even before the formation of the uh, Choctahatchee National Forest. That's right. Plus, I, Daddy didn't see it, but in the articles that I've read and this has really struck me in the old pictures that you see of this over at Fort Walton it's naked there's no trees to speak of but when you stop and think about it they I'm going to use the word mine they cut down all, all growth that's what they were doing and all of northwest Florida they were cutting down all the pine trees the bay would up, would be full of all the pine that they had cut Floated down the creeks to the Choctahatchie Bay, rafted together, and then sent to Pensacola. There were mills here, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them they sent to the mills in Pensacola.
0: Speaking of wildlife in this area looking completely different, I wanted to get another account of these days gone by. I spoke recently with Dell Stone Jr. He's the son of Joyce Reddy Stone. The Reddy family came to this area in the 1930s and Joyce was a descendant of that family. She was the last known student to have attended the Old Camp Walton Schoolhouse that is now part of the museum at the Indian Temple Mount Complex in downtown Fort Walton Beach. Her mother owned the Old Greyhound Station, now Maui Bus Stop. Her brother owned Jimmy's Store on Eglin Parkway. During the Great Depression, she would deliver newspapers and sell crabs her and her sister caught to make ends meet. I'm sorry to say, she passed away this year at the age of 95. Her son, Dell Stone, Jr., has a pretty good recollection of stories his mother told him of growing up here. Here is Dell recalling those days.
2: Well, it was very primitive, there were very few people here, two or three hundred people. Most of their their essentials came by boat from Pensacola. Mm. There were uh, stores down along 98 on the water. and. The town basically existed along 98 in what we call now downtown. That was basically the town. Mm -hmm. There was very little else here. Uh, Edwin Parkway was a dirt road. Uh, Lots of wildlife, lots of alligators. In fact, there was a spring over where, what is it, the playground? The playground inn, is that the one at the foot of Brooks Bridge? Yeah. There was a natural spring there that the alligators loved. You had to be careful in the bayous and uh, other waterways around here because there were so many alligators. There were uh, panthers Mm -hmm. out in the woods, Florida panthers. Um, Cattle roamed the highway. Yeah, at, at one point my uncle owned some cottages out on the island, I guess, in... Thirty-six, because apparently they had a really severe hurricane that hit in 36, and he spent that hurricane out on the island trying to make sure these cottages didn't wash away. Wow. <laughs> he was crazy. Uh, one thing Mom told me about back then that I thought was humorous is, you know how we prize shrimp as a delicacy? Mm. They considered shrimp to be trash, and they wouldn't eat it. <laughs> Can you believe that? Did she
0: ever eat shrimp later
2: in life? Oh heck yeah, it was her favorite oh. <laughs> meal. It was her favorite meal everywhere we went. She had to get shrimp. Huh. But back then it was trash. <laughs> what were they eating? Eat what was the You know, I don't I don't know. I I I know they caught fish in the bayou because um, mom's family was very poor and granddad was gone a lot. And Uncle Jimmy would hunt squirrel and he would Uh, catch fish, and um, they would buy some of the groceries, you know, from downtown, and Grandmom would make their clothes. Grandmom would sell cakes and pies to the hotel down there. She worked at the hotel. I think she was a maid, and she would sell cakes and pies to them to make extra money and take that money and buy fabric and make, you know, the kids' clothes out of that. Mm. It was a different world than it is now, and there was nobody here. Yeah. There was nobody here. They lived in a house in Cinco Bayou. You know that there's a park at the end of Kid Street in Cinco Bayou, right there where City Hall is? Mm -hmm. Across the bayou from that park, there was an abandoned house out there, like an old Mm -hmm. southern mansion, and they they moved into that. And they lived there. The kitchen was like a separate building, Mm -hmm. and it had a greenhouse. That hurricane that hit in 36, they had a cow, and they put the cow in the greenhouse. And apparently there were hailstones falling at yeah. one point. And it was breaking the greenhouse glass. So they took the cow into the house, and they couldn't leave it downstairs. <laughs> so they took the cow up the stairs and put it in a bedroom
3: upstairs.
2: I'm hearing these stories, and I'm thinking, Jesus, I can't believe we're talking about putting a cow in an upstairs bedroom. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you hear about people doing that in your... No. <laughs> oh, they didn't even know it was a hurricane. Yeah. They just thought it was a bad storm that wouldn't go away. <laughs> it's like, boy, well, this storm sure is long. <laughs> because they didn't have radio or anything. They had nothing. Oh, man.
0: They didn't even have radio. Wow, well, it's definitely a different time. In the early 1930s, three bridges were built about the same time the Shalimar Bridge, Cinco Bayou Bridge, and Brooks Bridge. Shalimar and Cinco bridges were wooden bridges. They originally planned to only have one bridge going from Shalimar into Fort Walton, but as they surveyed the bottom of the bayous, they promptly discovered it wasn't suitable for driving pilings for a stable bridge. So they that's why they have the, both the Cinco and the Shalimar bridges. As the first Brooks Bridge had begun being constructed, they held a celebration for the first piling of the bridge. In that celebration, they invited everyone essentially west of the Apalachicola River to set off the official beginning of construction. Here's how a newspaper article described that event. The program will begin promptly at 11 o'clock in the Mainland Bridge, where the fill approaching the span forms a natural amphitheater. At 1 o'clock, a fish fry will be served on the island by the Fort Walton Women's Club with the illustrious Fiddling Brown in the role of Chef de Cuisine. I love these old newspaper articles, everybody wrote differently back then. Over a thousand pounds of fish was cooked and I guess they had multiple boats ferrying people from the mainland celebration over to Okaloosa Island for the fish fry. An interesting thing Kay Brooks pointed out to me was that after the fish fry, the money left over from the event was $1.67. The committee that planned that event decided to put that money in a savings account, hopefully accruing interest and in a hundred years they would use the money for a hundred year anniversary of the bridge for a celebration. Check out this article about that money. Remember, this was written in 1933. Now unless the decades that slip by in the next century also bring a radical change in the handling of saving accounts of banks, The citizens of Fort Walton in the year 2033 will have a neat sum, about $120, with which to stage a fish fry, chowder feed, or oyster roast, or whatever is appropriate in that day and time for celebrations. Several days ago, citizens of Fort Walton sent Sam Ellis, editor of the news journal, the 67 He was chairman of the committee to raise funds for the big affair, so they decided he was the one to receive any surplus. Ellis, however, didn't relish the idea of dividing the $1.67 among the several persons and firms who contributed. It was too small an amount, so he added 33 cents to it, and as a result, $2.00 is the nucleus of the 2033 Fort Walton Bridge Centennial Celebration Fund. The News Journal editor has decided to put the $2.00 first in the Citizens and People's Bank of Pensacola to the credit of the rector of St. Mary's Catholic Church at Fort Walton or his successors. Thus, if Father A. Bain, who has been a conspicuous figure about Fort Walton for some years, isn't there at the end of the ten years, his successor will make the transaction and so on through the century. Now there's no telling just what will constitute a lively celebration for folks a hundred years hence. Judging from the rapid advent of inventions and customs during the past century, even the $120 might not be enough to entertain one person. Then it might be enough to buy the whole town of Fort Walton at the time. Who knows? Maybe the $120 would be sufficient to induce some of the young heroes of the day to race to Mars in a gondola-equipped rocket and back in the same day. And again, it might be enough to stage a bathing beauty contest, provide small enough fig leaves could be purchased to go around assuming, of course, that folks will still be wearing something on the beaches in those days. The fund might be used to buy a statue for the top of the thousand-story skyscraper which might constitute one of the hotels at Fort Walton in 2033, commemorating the priors, brooks, beals, staffs, and others instrumental in securing the bridge and road development work in Fort Walton. You cannot tell what's liable to be the trend of mind 100 years away. It is all within the scope of reason that the centennial celebration might not be staged at Fort Walton at all, Speakers might eulogize the occasion from their studios, while celebrants would turn a switch and have a picture thrown on a screen in their own homes, revealing his words audibly. People may live in penthouses so far on the clouds, then that they wouldn't care to come down just to celebrate something that was done 100 years before. Anyhow, when the start of the bridge took place, a lot of folks enjoyed good old goldfish, fish, potato salad, muffins, coffee, and speeches suggestive of the day, And it'll be up to the residents of Fort Walton 100 years from now to decide how they best commemorate the anniversary with $120 left them by the founders. It all depends on what a couple of dollars can do. Now that article was written in 1933 by R.I. Ship. Kay was the one who sent me that article. And there is one obvious question that remains when it comes to that money from 1933. And uh, so where's that money now, Kay? I
1: don't know. I'm (laughs) hoping there's somebody looking for it. Okay. i put somebody on the trail.
0: All right. Here's Kay.
1: They had, I think, over a 1,000 people there and all these dignitaries from not just Tallahassee but all over the state to come and attend this fish fry. And they were so excited about it, but they knew that this was going to bring new things to the area. They took them fishing, they took them, uh, they fished up in the lakes. It was, they they took them hunting. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the beginning for our area of tourism. Yeah. Absolutely, it really was.
0: That's certainly an interesting bit about the Brooks Bridge that I didn't know before this episode was recorded. Now that first bridge was a swinging bridge, and I'm not personally aware of any such bridges that are still built like that. So here's a description from Dell, taken from his personal accounts and from stories from his family.
2: Okay, the swing bridge, Try to picture this in your mind. The part that swung, it was like a bridge that just stopped on either side, and then there was a middle part that would swing out like 90 degrees. And that way the boats could cross under the bridge if they had a tall mast. So the bridge would rotate in the middle and there was a shack up higher. But there was a guy who sat up in that, I call it a shack, it was just an enclosure, up there, a little... like this room. Mm -hmm. Watching for boats coming. And then he'd swing the, you know, the the little safety guardrails would come down, like on a railroad track, a railroad crossing. And those would come down, and the traffic would stop so that they didn't drive off into the water, and he would, you know, rotate the bridge so that the boats could come through. And apparently... One of those bridge tenders was my mother's uncle, Uncle George. We call him Uncle George, but he was like our grand-uncle George. And sometimes granddad, my granddad, and Uncle George would go up into that shack and take a supply of adult beverages with them. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, in fact, um, I've seen pictures of the old Billy Bolex parades that would cross that bridge and go out to the island. Yeah. And that's just because the rest of the town, there wasn't much to it. The main part of town was there along 98. Here's Kay.
1: You didn't have air conditioning back then, but you know, you didn't really suffer because you didn't you didn't know what you were missing. When they, the barges would come through, I'm sure you've heard this from other people, and they wanted the, the bridge to be open, it was three long toots, 24-7. So if they were going by in the middle of the night, you could be waked up by hearing them I love that sound. I mean, it was just part of my childhood because the windows were always open. Yeah, You could hear it and you kind of miss that.
0: That bridge eventually outlived its usefulness as traffic began to increase. Two lanes to get to the beach weren't enough to handle the traffic. So a new bridge was constructed in 1966. This is the current bridge. And in talking with Dell and Kay, this thing was a wondrous thing to behold in those days. Here's Dell. I,
2: I couldn't believe it. It was a marvel. A marvel. It was. It, yeah. was, it was amazing because um, it was so big
0: and it was just so solid. Here's Kay. At what point was the Brooks Bridge named the Brooks Bridge, do we know?
1: You know, I always thought, like most other people, that it was just always the Brooks Bridge. But I came across an article that said it was five years later that a request was put in to be named for John Thomas. My great-grandfather for the Brooks to be named that and it passed so five years after the construction it got the name of John
0: do you recall the construction of that bridge absolutely what was Certainly. what was that like
1: big yeah because then you come from a, it, the bridge the swing bridge was the same level as the it was sea level uh, ground level it didn't arch at all and you just drove straight over it it opened but there was no arch to it. This new one was high and big. It was nothing like anybody in Fort Walton had ever seen in our area. I mean, it was huge, gigantic. So it, it impressed me. Yeah. <laughs> it was big because they built it. They left the swing bridge open while they built, built the new one. So for the entire process, you kind of got to see it up and close and when you would go back and forth to Destin or over to the island. And I surfed at that time, so I was going back and forth to the island on a regular basis.
0: When that bridge was finished, they decided to keep the name John T. Brooks Bridge. Um, And I found an article that says you were there. Yeah, I was. You were there at the dedication of the new, and now current, bridge. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like there, how old you were, and what that experience was like? I think I was about 14. Okay.
1: I just started to learn to surf. I was still, I think I was at Prior. And I had to get called out of school to go overhead, and I was embarrassed to tears. I didn't really want to go, but I went. Because, you know, at 14, that's, that just doesn't mean that much yeah. to you, but I went. So we all stood up there on the, with the, all the kids, and they did the dedication. I can't believe it's we're fixing to have another one. You'd have <laughs> thought the bridge would have lasted a little longer than that.
0: A lot of times we move through town without thinking of why things are named the way they are. It's that way with roads and with bridges. We know the Brooks Bridge. We needed to get to where we need to go. But why is it named for John Thomas Brooks? Who was Mr. Brooks? Here's Kay again.
1: He came here after the Civil War. John Thomas Brooks. The earliest factual thing that we found on him was an old map, 1871 I think it was, that actually shows where a Brooks homestead was. And originally, family lore has that he lived in a log cabin, somewhere right at the base of where the Brooks Bridge now. If you're coming from the island over into Fort Walton, it would have been, I think, we all think, kind of on the right-hand side, kind of over there, kind of around the Florida Blanca Place, okay. around there, their original home. And then later on, they ended up where the old Miramar Hotel was. And there's a motel there now. I've even forgotten the name of it. But that's where the the Brooks home that turned into a motel was until they sold it.
0: What do you think brought him here?
1: It's our idea. It's not fact, but this is what Mama, who does genealogy, and had followed him, actually found his unit in Pensacola. And him being, at the time, a lower Alabama boy and living close to the Geneva, um, the Geneva, Alabama and the Chocotachie River, he may have in his younger years maybe come down this way or been familiar with the Gulf Coast. So if he was stationed over in Pensacola and there was trouble over here in Fort Walton, back then it didn't have a name at all. It didn't even have the name Camp Walton during the war. It just was an area. If the Walton guards were here and they needed trouble, I mean, if they needed help mm-hmm. if they were in trouble... He, his unit, may have come over to help them because in the family it was said that he said it was so pretty that after the war he wanted to come back to this area. So that's the only way we can think of that he may have seen the area and then decided to come back and homestead it. At the beginning, probably at the log cabin, he was either fishing, I know he was hunting. He killed bears and there was panther and yeah. you name it. It was I mean it was quintessential wilderness living at that time. There were still Native Americans here, especially at, around Black Point Lake Lorraine, yeah because there was uh, uh, freshwater sources over there. No so it was tough. They lost two little girls <laughs> mm. and those little girls were buried in Jesse Rogers Cemetery. I can't imagine having lost a child and then ha- there were no roads. everything was done by water, having to take the, the little ones in the boat, row it around.
0: So now, folks, we've taken a look back because that's what we do here at Flashback. But I'm sure you're wondering what's going on with the new bridge. Buildings are being demolished to make way for the improvements. Actual physical construction will begin about summer 2023, according to FDOT. One of the most vocal information sources about the new bridge has been from the greater Fort Walton Beach Chamber of Commerce and its president and CEO, Mr. Ted Corcoran. Here's my conversation with Ted.
4: You know, I think, Nick, the the key thing now is nobody can say, I'll believe it when it happens. We've heard that for 20 years, right? I'll believe it when it happens. Well, they believe it now because the buildings are coming down. Everything on the north side of the bridge is done. They've knocked it down, you know, the part of props and and Pat's bait and tackle and the places over there in Giovanni. So it's happening. There should be nobody. I want to clarify, folks, the bridge is coming. So on the other side, it's really interesting about the other side because they're knocking down the Emerald Coast suites, as you know, and the people out there have seen it. And they've already knocked down that uh, uh, that Tropical Waves tourist shop and Waffle House. And those are not for the bridge, but for the new roadways, which is really cool because you think, holy cow, is the bridge going to be that wide? The tropical waves and the Waffle House, that'll be where the exit is coming off the bridge, which is game changing, as we all know. Right now, when you're on Santa Rosa Boulevard, and you want to go over the bridge. You come to that light, you wait in line, you take a left and over the bridge you go, or you take a right and you go to Destin. Right, We all know that. We've done it for years. So now you won't have that opportunity. You'll go underneath the bridge. And that is a monstrous game changer because every single person that's going west, going back to Louisiana, going back to Texas, et cetera, has to, absolutely has to go into that community, which means all of those vacant buildings are going to be resurrected. And it's going to be a unbelievable um an unbelievable retail strolling restaurant area there like it was in the 1970s. So
0: this is an FDOT project. Correct, yes. Why is the chamber, why are you so interested in keeping people informed about this project?
4: Well, Highway 98, it influences everything in Destin, it influences everything in the Fort Walton Beach area. Uh, and it influences everything in Shalimar, Mariester, et cetera. It's our one through fare. So in this case, um, FDOT is hard to get word out on. You know, they're kind of a government agency. They're good, but they're a government agency, as we all know. And maybe that would give the information as simple as we can. I'm kind of a simpleton information guy. So this is a game changer for Okaloos Island. You come over the top of the bridge, you bear the right, as we mentioned, Shantytown or the north side of Santa Rosa Boulevard will be accessible by bikes and, and uh, uh, golf carts. So people who are down at the El Matador, which is at the end of Santa Rosa Boulevard, will be able to travel safely up Santa Rosa Boulevard, go the equivalent route of going underneath the bridge right now past high tide and get to the north side of the bridge without having to transfer. So cars will be minimalized I truly think that cars will be minimalized because folks like the Tomasek family and all the others who are vacationing down there are going to say heck I'm not driving I'm going to get on a bike because every condo will have bikes and they may even have the residents will have the golf carts it's a game changer for Oakloue Island in so many ways.
0: So when you're talking about golf carts, you're talking about the multi-use path. That's also
4: correct. Right? So that's the part we have. That is, the,
0: that is the actual the actual county project that is working in conjunction with FDOT um, to have a multi-use path on Santa Rosa Island, which. Uh, again, is another game changer. It is. I, uh, I exercise down there, and it can be pretty treacherous sometimes uh, with some of those cars and people texting and driving. Agreed. And jogging on the side of the road. So. And if you've
4: never met Nick, my friends, you can see he's exercised. He's a stud. <laughs> and that's who studs, so keep that in mind. Uh, but yes, let's, let's talk about the different things that are happening. We have the bridge. We have what will be the revitalization of the north side of Santa Rosa Boulevard. We have the entire renovation of Santa Rosa Boulevard going all the way to the El Matador that, as Nick has indicated and has talked about in the past, you'll now have a monstrous pedestrian walkway, a bike path, a a uh, golf cart path all allowing people not to be afraid as you've mentioned Nick about being on Santa Rosa Boulevard and the bike path on Highway 98 the bridge to bridge all of these yeah. folks are happening simultaneously all should be done in some capacity of the next 5 years and it is it's incredible it's absolutely incredible we've waited a long time for it in our community your child who is now how old it's 10. 10 years old, right? Your child, Nick's child, his wonderful son. When he is taking his first drive as a 16-year-old or when he's graduating high school is when this project will be done, all of them together. does take time, but when it is done, it is amazing. So yeah, we have we have five, six, seven years of shuttling and, and this and that and that, but when it's done, it is going to revolutionize okaloosa island and downtown Fort Walton beach for ever. action is happening now because the current city council county commission and all of those who are in leadership for the last four to six years have expedited that process and said let's make it happen
0: you, t- you brought up traffic so people are always worried about oh these all these projects gonna stop traffic and you know that may be the case but i'm t- i'm told and i don't know if You've been told the same thing. All four lanes of Brooks
4: Bridge will be open during construction. Absolutely, the the existing bridge remains open. Yeah, it's they're building the new bridge to the north side of the the the, uh, to the bridge. That's why props. If you props is that great beer company, the official Fort Walton Beach Chamber beer is props. (laughs) But that's why they had to cut part of props off and why they had to take patch, bait and tackle away is because the bridge is going to be built on the north side. I think it's going to start on the Okaloosa Island down there by that tattoo parlor or something in that area there and start working their way into downtown, but I don't know that for certain. So therefore, in theory, there should be absolutely no distractions on the bridge or leading in or coming off the bridge until that part of the span of the new bridge is completely done. We absolutely need to do something. We need to celebrate that this is changing for Walton Beach. We have to celebrate that our uh, uh, political leaders and, and our county leadership and our citizens are saying, hooray, this is a good thing, not a bad thing. So we'll, we'll work on that. We'll work with FDOT and see what they want to think about. But we absolutely need to celebrate that this is happening. As a guy in charge of the Fort Walton Beach Chamber, you asked earlier, why are we involved? Because somebody has to be able to spread the word of this, of how wonderful it is and what's happening. And we appreciate this opportunity today.
0: Along with his enthusiasm for the Brooks Bridge and changes on Okaloosa Island, Ted also mentioned to me that the Around the Mound concept is also moving forward. We will likely be talking about that more in the future. And Ted will do what Ted does very well, I think, in delivering his message about the bridge in the future but you can also follow along with some FDOT resources. April Sarver is the Public Information Officer for Okaloosa County, and she has been in recent communication with FDOT. You've, you've talked with uh, Ian Satter, who's the Public Information Officer for FDOT. What do we know about the bridge as of today? Today is, is the end of September.
3: Yes, um, I have just spoken with FDOT today and the latest update is that, yes, we see a lot of buildings that have come down. In our eyes, it looks like construction has already begun. However, the demo phase isn't quite considered the construction phase. So you According, will, to, FDOT. according to FDOT, it's very visible to us. However, there's a lot that goes into the construction, obviously, of a new bridge. So there will be a public a public workshop that'll take place just prior to construction, which they're now expecting to begin in summer of 2023. Okay. All right. You can find updates now. You can find them at nwflroads.com. That's the FDOT's website for all projects. You'll find the Brooks Bridge Project under a tab that says future projects. And again, that's because the construction of the bridge hasn't actually begun yet. So, nwflroads.com.
0: And, and there, there's some information on how to get more specific contact info for Ian and his mm-hmm. team and, and, and all of that stuff. So. Yeah,
3: you'll find the, uh, the point of contact for that project in particular, their public information office. You'll find status updates. They'll begin to update that as we get closer to that construction phase that begins, you know, it, we'll see a little bit of a lull between now and and summer, uh, we've seen the buildings come down. I'm not sure what else we're gonna see until the actual construction phase begins in the summertime.
0: Awesome, awesome. and it's the bridge is coming. Um, it's just, you know, it, things like this take time, so.
3: Yes, yeah, I, I would imagine there's a lot that goes into building a bridge.
0: You gotta make sure it's safe.
3: Yes, and, and it's a several year project, so we want them to do this right.
0: Absolutely, okay. thanks April. Uh-huh. From 1966 to today, Brooks Bridge has seen its fair share of traffic, But traffic's boring and a frustrating topic to talk about. The bridge has seen other activity in some recent years and can each probably have their own episode of flashback. I can recall at least two times that the bridge has been hit by passing barges. In 2013, a barge with a crane extended in the air cracked the side of the bridge, busting a water main to the island. Due to some great work by FDOT and the county's crack crew at the Water and Sewer Department, they were able to repair the line and have since relocated underneath the Santa Rosa Sound. And another barge hit the bridge in 2019, closing all traffic for the night. In both instances, motorists were diverted to the Mid-Bay Bridge and traffic remained at a standstill for hours. And we can't forget the ice storm of 2014, which closed a number of bridges in the area, including the Brooks Bridge. As the bridge iced over, the pitch or angle of the current bridge proved impossible for cars and trucks to pass over it. I saw four x fours getting a running start, but still couldn't manage to get traction to get up the hump, instead crashing into the nearly foot high curb on the side. Like the first and second Brooks Bridge, the new bridge, its concept, design, will be just as marvelous, I'm sure. And I think we're all going to have to learn patience as it's constructed and know that yes, in the coming years, we will have a new bridge to enjoy. Maybe when it's done, someone will find that $2 investment from 1933 and throw the citizens of Northwest Florida another fish fry celebration. We shall see. This episode was written and produced by me. The executive producer is April Sarver, our county public information officer. Special thanks to Kay Saxon Brooks, Dell Stone Jr., Ted Corker, and April Sarver, and to all of those families that came here for a better life that helped shape our piece of paradise right here in Northwest Florida. Thanks for listening. I'll see you around town.